Uh, so we'll be in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be talking about the burning bush. That very clip um, was not picked by accident. <laughs> and I'm super nostalgic and I love 90s stuff. So uh, that movie was definitely one of those movies way back in the day when I was a kid. So every time I watch it, I get, chill I get chills and choked up. Um, so we'll, we'll be in Exodus chapter 3. It's a tremendous uh, chapter. There's so much that God... Um, is doing in Israel and, and with Moses. And I think that even now in the time we live in, um, he has so much to show us and so much that I think that we can take from this text that we can apply to the way that we live now and what we are dealing with now as a people. So Exodus chapter 3 Take this little sip of water. All right. So <clears throat> I read an interesting story the other day um, about a television program that preceded the 1988 Winter Olympics. And it, bless you, and it featured blind skiers who were being trained for downhill skiing, downhill skiing, okay? Uh, blind seers, people who cannot see. And impossible as that may sound, they were paired with skiers who could see as guides. Now, these blind skiers were first taught on flat ground with their sighted skier, um, their guide, and they were taught how to make left turns and right turns, how to, when they heard, the, they heard left, they'd go left. When they heard right, they'd go right. Now, when they mastered that, they took over to downhill skiing, to the slopes and all the turns and all of that. So when they mastered that, they were ready to go um, for this uh, event. Now, the sighted skiers skied beside their partners, and they guided them. They said left, and that blind skier went left. They went right when that a sighted skier said, right. They obeyed those commands. And they were able to negotiate that course and cross the finish line solely depending on those skiers, those guides who could see what was in front of them. Their word was had to be completely trusted. Everything they said was depending on success or a massive failure, even a catastrophe, Right? We're going to be reading through all of chapter 3 for Exodus today, kind of a, a 22 verses, but I want you to narrow on that word trust. Just like those blind skiers had to trust their guides to help them navigate that downhill course, we trust God to navigate, to help us navigate life, to go left when we're to go left, to go right when we're to go right. And Moses is no one different. Moses had to have complete trust in God. Now, those skiers probably felt anxious, maybe worried, right? They're blind, so I can kind of get a glimpse of what they're feeling like when I don't have my glasses on. I can barely see. Um, so I can imagine that they were so worried at times, but they had to have complete trust in that guide to help them get through um, what they were dealing with, right? Now, God is our guide, and God will never fail. And where God leads us, where God guides us, it is always for our good. 
and he guides us by his spirit, right? He guides us until we reach that finish line and receive that crown that is waiting for us. And Moses is this actor in this story, this supporting actor, this supporting role in the story of God's story of redemption. Now, and as we read, I hope that you can grasp what uh, the Spirit would say to you about this, about trusting God. Now, the story of Moses is obviously one of those stories that we are all kind of familiar with, right? We're probably familiar with uh, Charleston Heston in uh, the Ten Commandments movie, a uh, great one. Um, or just like that clip that I showed, uh, Val Kilmer uh, voicing Moses in The Prince of Egypt. Uh, you may be familiar with that in any other case, or maybe a VeggieTales episode. Some of us watch VeggieTales. You're probably familiar with a few VeggieTales episodes about Moses. It's a captivating story. The story of Moses is very, very attention-getting. It's a powerful story of God's work in a man's life. He was a Hebrew boy, right, born during a time when Pharaoh, Pharaoh of Egypt, decreed in Exodus chapter 1 that all Hebrew male boys were to be killed. And he was born, and his mother, who's so wise, bundled him in a little mini ark and sailed him down a river. And that river led him to the daughter of Pharaoh, the very king of Egypt who would have had Moses killed. Now, when the daughter finds Moses wrapped up in a little mini ark, she adopts him. She raises him as her own, and she hires, get this, hires Moses' mother as a nurse to nurse him. You know, this is totally God, right? He grows up in Pharaoh's household with all of the privileges that you would expect someone to growing up in, in a royal house, right? They're rich, you know, they have great food. Um, I don't know what else they probably do, all kinds of different things. But anyways, Moses sees an Egyptian as he's older. He sees this Egyptian, and he's treating this Hebrew slave terribly. And this leads Moses to kill this Egyptian man. And later, as he's doing his duties, walking around, a Hebrew slave, Hebrew slaves kind of notice, oh, hey, it's Moses. He, didn't you just kill that guy? Didn't you kill that person? They kind of reject Moses as a leader, right? Now, Moses probably overcome with guilt, overcome with shame over what he had done, um, over what uh, that person, those Hebrews had said to him, and all kinds of stuff probably going through his mind. So he flees. He flees to the Midian Desert. He runs away. And he runs away to a desert. Um, he's there for 40 years. He gets married. He stays off the grid, right? And this is right when our story picks up. Right when the kid picks up. In the last verses of chapter 2 of Exodus, uh, speaking of just kind of this context for chapter 3 so we understand what's going on here, uh, verse 23 of uh, chapter 2 says this, Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. And verse 24, So God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. 
And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. God cares for his people, Israel. God cares for everyone on this entire planet, every one of you, as if you were the only person on the planet, as if you were the only person living on earth. He cares about you. God remembers his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob because God has a special relationship with Israel that's so unique. They're the only nation that could be called God's people. And God cares about them so much. Now, critics may say about the Old Testament, God, they may say, well, hey, uh, uh, God is different from the Old Testament than the New Testament. And uh, lately I've been going through apologetics with the youth, so forgive me, but this entire lesson's probably, this whole sermon's going to be full of random apologetic stuff, because, well, that's what I'm reading right now. So <laughs> forgive me for that. Um, but a lot of people will say that the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament are totally different, right? But as you can see here, if you haven't noticed in these last few verses I just read, um, <clears throat> God hears what? He hears a desperate cry from the people, right? From his people. And what is their cry for? Their cry is for a savior. Their cry is to be saved, to be delivered. Doesn't that sound so familiar? And then what does God do? He acknowledges that cry. He hears their groaning. He remembers the covenant. He remembers his promises. And he acknowledges them. And he's going to deliver them. We all know this, right? We've read the story. God has heard their desperate cry for his Savior. And God is going to call Moses to that task. God is going to use Moses for a mighty, amazing task, an amazing purpose, an amazing call that Moses is going to have on his life. He will struggle with it, no doubt, as I would expect someone to uh, when, they're, when they have the kind of call on their life that Moses has. One of the greatest, if not the greatest prophet in all of the Old Testament, in all of history. Now, I've heard many times, especially as a pastor, uh, many times from people in my life, family, friends, uh, even people at church as well, um, will say, well, I don't know what God's will is for my life. I have no idea what God wants me to do. What is my purpose for being here? Why, why, why? Right? Very common. It's a very common common kind of question. What is God calling me to do as a Christian? I, I believe in Jesus. I read his word. I'm uh, I pray, but I want to know what God wants me to do. And to be honest, I have struggled with that as well. Not something I'm alone in, definitely, I'm sure. Doubt can come in like a wave. And it can pull you deeper and deeper into itself. So you doubt so much that you're frozen, you're paralyzed, right? You can't do anything. You can't make a decision. You can't even focus. But then... By God's grace, he often sends us a lifeline. He sends us something to pull us back into him and into his presence. 
And I think as we read about Moses, we read about our friend Moses, we're going to understand that just how like God wants us to trust him and how he leads the way. But sometimes he needs to get our attention because we can be very distracted if, if we're honest, right? All right, so let's read Exodus 3, our first three verses. Um, now, verse 3, or verse 1 in chapter 3. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared uh, to him in the flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Okay, so we read this. Okay, Moses is out there. He's tending sheep. He's being a shepherd, right? Now let's make a note. Um, it does say these, these aren't his sheep. Uh, they're his father-in-law's sheep. Okay, he has no sheep of his own. He's, he's, doing, he's, he's watching his father-in-law's sheep, right? And to remember, Moses was a son, an adopted son, mind you, but he was a son in Pharaoh's household, a royal household. This would seem to be very below someone who was born in such a high uh, manner, right? And now Moses has been humbled 40 years in the desert to the point to where he is a lowly shepherd, minding his father-in-law's sheep. And here's a little nugget of wisdom here, uh, freebie. Um, I charge for everything after this, so just letting you guys know. Um, God will not use a prideful man. God will not use a prideful man. Now, why is that? Pride gets in the way. Always. Always will be. Humility is one of the chief qualities that God wants to develop in the Christian, in you, in me. Humility is a humble man, a humble woman, is someone who is so fit for the Father's use, who is so ready to be used, ready to be used. Moses was humbled, humbled. Now, think about this for a second if you're, you're kind of struggling with being humble. Uh, God, the almighty God, creator of the heavens and the earth, wants to use you. But we need to be humbled, right? Before Paul, the apostle, became Paul, he was humbled by God. You remember the story on the road to Damascus. Paul was blinded. And I can imagine how humbling that can be, right? And then on top of that, Jesus appears to him on the road and calls him out for what he had been doing. Remember that story about the blind downhill skiers, right? They are told they, they're so humbled, right, to be led around. Probably not even just as skiing, right, but just in life, right, generally, right? And what a great example it is of trusting God. And part of God's plan is to develop in us a very mature faith, a faith that stands the test of trials, that stands the test of time. And in Moses, God wants to do that in him too. And he has been humbled as a shepherd, no doubt. And we know, because we, we can read the rest of Exodus, we know that Moses is going to deal with so much stuff. He is going to be called to be the leader of Israel. 
and to guide them into the promised land and guide them out of Egypt and to do all of these most amazing things. Now, God will often have to get our attention, sometimes in a very dramatic way, right? It can be a trial. It can be something serious in your life. It could be a sickness, right? It could be an accident. It can be all kinds of different things. And more often than not, it's because God wants you to wake up and pay attention to what he's been trying to tell you forever, right? Uh, he wants to let you know about some things, right? And he's trying to do that with Moses here. Think about this. God does want to use us. But like Paul, the apostle, needed to be blinded to truly see. Moses needs to be drawn to the burning bush to be ready to lead. He needs to be drawn to the burning bush to be ready to lead. This is all on purpose. God used this burning bush to draw Moses in, to draw him into himself. Now we know that this bush is burning, right? It's totally engulfed in flames. We saw the video clip, right? Um, it's totally engulfed in flames, totally surrounded, right? Um, and yet it's not being consumed. Now I read this, um, that out in the desert, sometimes bushes can just burn, just blow up and just spontaneously combust, right? They're so dry, it's so hot, X, Y, and Z, and then boom, they burn into flame, right? And burn away to nothing. So obviously Moses is probably noticing, well, well, there's a burning bush. Okay, well, I'm in the desert. Stuff burns. Um, and then it draws him right in there, and it's right where God wants him to be. Now he's also drawn to this specific area, this mountain, Mount Horeb, which is an interesting place because this is the same mountain that God would give him the Ten Commandments later on. And it truly is the mountain of God. You know, this is one of the books of Moses. So we know that Moses wrote Exodus. So I think that when he wrote, he wrote mountain of God and added that on there as a kind of note for himself. So it's kind of a, yeah, that is mountain. That was the mountain of God. Now, anyways, Moses kind of falls into this trap, right? Not really a trap. Um, more like something, it's so amazing, you can't help but like look at it. Like, I think yesterday, there was supposed to be a solar eclipse, and uh, we were outside, and we were staring for a very long time, and we saw nothing because there were clouds, but we were just, like, staring, and so, like, our neighbors came out, and then they were staring, and, like, it was, like, awe-inspiring if we saw it, because we didn't see it. Um, we saw clouds. I'm in bright light, so there you go. I think kind of the same way, except this is actually right there in front of you. <laughs> All right, so we're going to read the next few verses. So verses 4 through 10. Uh, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, he called, God called out to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And then Moses said, here I am. Then he said, God says, uh, do not draw near this place. Take off your sandals, off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. 
So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So Moses literally hears God's voice, literally, in the midst of the burning bush. And he turns his attention to the burning bush, right? He's like, oh my gosh, a burning bush and someone's talking? Where is this coming from, right? (laughs) I think we can kind of miss out on what God is telling us. Um, not only from just having pride, but from being distracted, right? From having our attention, our focus being somewhere else, right? God calls Moses by name. If you didn't notice, he's like, Moses, Moses. A, a seemingly obscure shepherd way out in the middle of the wilderness. It's not like he's out in like a You know, he's not in New York City. He's not in like a very famous kind of area or somewhere, maybe even a smaller town. He's really not anywhere, nowhere. He's out in the middle of the desert. There's not a whole lot going on, but he's called by God by name. God knows his very name. He knows his very name. Now, this angel of the Lord, we do believe that this is Jesus in his pre-incarnate form. He appears to Moses here, right? But he's mentioned also in Genesis 16 when the angel of the Lord, we believe is Jesus, he appears to Hagar and he also appears in many other places in scripture. Now, when Moses notices that it is the Lord, he says, here I am. Why is that significant? Here I am. Well, I think two things. Um, The first thing is, well, that's actually how Abraham and Jacob responded when, they, when God met them the first time. Interesting, right? I also think, in another way, it's kind of a, a, an act of humility. Here I am. Here I am. It's not like, oh, you're here? Okay, yeah, let's go do this, let's go do that. It's just like, here I am. He's presenting himself almost as an offering for God to do with whatever he would do. Interesting, right? Some interesting stuff here. Scripture is so cool. Now, as he's in God's presence, God has something to say, right? After 40 years of life in Egypt as a member of the royal house, 40 years in the desert, God is calling Moses to a new chapter in his life. Wildly new. Something that he could never have imagined for himself. Probably even didn't believe he even deserved to even be used by God much less even God know his name, right? Now, God tells him, as he's there, don't draw any closer. Take off your sandals, because the place that you stand is holy ground. Is the ground holy in and of itself? No, it is not. It's holy because God is there. God is holy. God is holy. Now, as he's instructing him, he's telling him not to do that. Take off your sandals. Don't come closer. It's reverence. It's worship. Worshiping God's presence. Now, I'm not telling anybody here to take off your sandals or your shoes. 
during worship. Um, <laughs> um, so don't 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 uh, mistake me. I am definitely not saying that. Um, anyways, so this is also considered, and you would think this is also kind of a display of reverence and humility in and of itself as well, right? Taking off your shoes, right? Taking off your sandals, also also showing a display of humility towards God as well. Now, we know that God is preparing Moses for what he's about to call him to. There's a sense of anticipation, like, what could you want with me? What could you want with me, God? Why do you speak to me? Why are you talking to me right now? What is happening? What's going on, right? And then God reveals himself. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This isn't a new God that's appeared to Moses. Not at all. This is the God of all generations, going back to you, all of your people's generations, back so far in the beginning of time. This is the God. This is the same God who spoke to Abraham in Genesis 13, 14 through 17, that all of Israel, the promised land, is to be his and his descendants forever. The promised land, right? God blesses all of the descendants of Abraham to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the ground. God is not impersonal, right? He's not far off or distant. If he was, he would not be here with Moses in the burning bush at all, right? God has, is personal. He wants to be with us. He wants to deliver his people. He cares and loves them very much as he cares and loves for all of us. Now, God has many names in Scripture. Um, I'm sure some of you have done uh, Bible studies on God's names. There's so many different names, and we'll talk about those in a minute, but let's pause on that and see what's happening here. We know that God has had his eye on Moses. If you look at Exodus 1 and Exodus 2, and then now you get into 3, you kind of see a, a kind of a timeline of like how God is working and orchestrating things and, and working in Moses, and he's had him in mind for great things. And I think that while we're out shepherding, while we're out working out in the background, we can feel unseen. We can often feel like we have no purpose, like whatever we do doesn't matter. And I want you to let you know that God definitely does see you. He definitely does love you and understand you. And there is definitely a purpose for you, just you. So unique to who you are that God has designed for just you to accomplish and fulfill. Now, one of God's names is Jehovah El Roy. It's one of my favorite ones. The God who sees me. And he was named this because of the loving kindness God showed toward Hagar in Genesis chapter 16. Hagar was something like an outcast, right? God showed love and saw her. And Hagar named God the God who sees. The God who sees me. Now God saw Moses, right? He sees you. And now, back to where we were, God says that he is the God of all the ancestors, right? All the patriarchs, everyone, all from all time. God has not forgotten his people, Israel. And he hasn't forgotten the promise he's made to them. Now, in Exodus 2, 23 through 25, we can get a glimpse of God's heart towards his people, right? Just like he's been kind of referencing here in chapter 3, God hears his people he hears their groans. He's 
heard their cries. He's felt their pain. He knows what they're going through. And he calls Moses to lead them out, to deliver them out of Israel, right? To take them out of there. Now Moses hides his face before God, and then God continues and shares his heart for Israel. Again, Moses hiding his face, I think probably out of fear, but also out of he's holy. God is so holy and mighty. And you just think of all the times that people uh, will meet up, will see an angel, and just how they get kind of afraid, I think of the same kind of way. Um, It's so awesome to see. Now, anyways, God explains that he's heard all, all their cries. He's seen all their pain at the hands of the Egyptians. He's going to deliver them out of bondage into a new land flowing with milk and honey. Flowing with milk and honey. Can you imagine? Just the picture it paints is just so descriptive, right? This, this land is not just a barren desert or anything like that. It's so overwhelming. It's, it's full beyond full of blessing because this is where God wants his people to go, right? He's preparing this place for them, and he calls Moses to that. Now, verses 11 through 12, God is going to talk more to Moses, um, and Moses is going to have a whole bunch of stuff he has uh, to say about that. So verse 11, but Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? In verse 12, so he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for Moses, right? In Ephesians 2.10, Paul writes, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, just like Moses has had a purpose that God has planned for, we all have a purpose that God has given us, right? That for good works that we should walk in them. Moses must have wondered about what God has been doing all this time. Right? They have been enslaved in Egypt. They've been stuck there. And he's wondering, like, well, you're here now? And then Moses asks a question, but he asks the wrong question, right? He goes, Who am I? Who am I that you should send me? Who am I, right? He really should be asking a different question, but he's like, Hey, God, I'm not the right guy. I'm definitely, you must have somebody else, because certainly there's someone in this area somewhere. Um, that is not as messed up as me or has done all this stuff. I could not possibly be used by you. I am not the one. Definitely not. Remember what, you know, he, he did all those years ago, killing the Egyptian, right? He's probably thinking all of those things. Oh, I did that? Oh, you couldn't use me? They're not going to follow me. Why would they want to follow me? You can sense the doubt in the question. You can feel that, right? You just understand, like, he is definitely deep in doubt right here. And he's just wondering, like, well, how could I be used by God? How could I be used by you? Now, thinking about this, we can do this very often to ourselves, don't we? We can hear from God, and then all of a sudden we start to listen to that doubting self-talk. Did God really say, right, the, those famous words that Satan, uh, as a snake in the Garden of Eden, said, right? Did God really say? I think that's a question we ask ourselves all the time, especially when we have heard God's word, when it's very confirmed, we're sure. 
this is it. It's time to do it. I think we have this little little ounce of doubt that starts to become bigger and bigger and bigger, and it starts to make us so that we're so paralyzed that we can't really do anything. It's like James 1.6 says, For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Moses seems to be lacking some faith right here, right? He's literally talking to God, and he's, he's got some serious doubts. But I believe that how God answers is how the way God answers us. And I think it's a very important key for us as we doubt what we need to do. Now see, God reminds Moses that he will be with him. God reminds Moses that he will be with them. It's like, I will certainly be with you. You're not going to be alone. I'm going to be there. I'm going to help you. We're, we're going to do this. You know, I need you. I want to use you. And I'm going to deliver all of Israel out of Egypt. We're going to do it. I need you to be there, right? So anyways, God's saying not only that, that you're going to come back to this mountain and worship me here. So it's like God's double downing, right? He's like, yeah, you're going you're gonna to deliver Egypt. And not even top, you know what? Not even just that. And not even just that I'm going to be there with you, but you're going to come back to this mountain with all of Israel, and you're going to worship me here. What God says is true. What God says is going to happen, no doubt. Now, He's reminding him, right? Because God is faithful, even when we're faithful, faithless. And we need to hear that when we doubt. When the waves are crashing overhead, when we are uh, struggling, we need to be reminded of the one who can calm the seas. With just a word. And when that self-talk comes, we need to be reminded of Psalm 33, 4. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. What God has told you is true. What God has told you is right. When you're praying for wisdom, praying for direction, you hear from God, trust that. Trust him. Trust him. All his work is done in truth. We forget, right? But he remembers we forget and he reminds us of who he is. Isn't he good? So good. All right. Verses 13 through 15. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Then you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. What a powerful statement. What a powerful answer. Now I mentioned earlier one of God's names, right? Jehovah El Roy, right? The God who sees. 
When God met with his people, he was often given a name or a title. I think of it like worship in a way, too. In Genesis 22:14, Abraham called God Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. In Ezekiel 48:35, he is called Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. In Judges 6:24, the judge Gideon called God Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace. So naturally, Moses asks God, by what name shall I call you? By what name shall I introduce you as? I'm sure he's got all these thoughts in his head. What he's going to call him, God of the burning bush. I don't, I don't know if that was one. But I'm sure he's got a lot of ideas, right? But then God answers, right? And says, I am who I am. I am who I am. And then Moses became infinitely confused. Um, had to think about that one for a while. Um, I am who I am. Tell them that's who sent you. And this is a wow moment, right? And you may wonder, what does that even mean? Um, oh, there's so much here on that one. Uh, what can he mean by that? This is what it means. God is. And that there is no other like him. He has always been and he always will be. There is no equivalent to God. God equals God. There is no other. There is no other like him. Now, people will say, well, you know, well, they'll ask this question, right? Who created God? Who created God, right? Very common question. I've been asked that a few times. And they may be wrestling with that idea of God, right? They're wrestling with what is God? How does this work? God is the uncaused first cause, right? He's eternal. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? And then God tells Moses again that, again, he is that same God. He is the God that was with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Again, reinforcing that. I am that same God. Remind them, tell them that I have not forgotten my people. I have not forgotten the covenants that I have had with you're with my people. I have not forgotten the covenant I had with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, that phrase that God says, I am who I am, is connected to the name Yahweh, which is kind of a shortened version of that phrase. Now, we know Yahweh was not a new name, and, it's not, and it wasn't an unknown name at the time. It appears 160 times in the book of Genesis. In fact, Moses' mother's name was called Yochebed, which means Yahweh is my glory. Now, in Moses and Israel, they knew that name. They knew the name Yahweh. And God did not give Moses a previously unknown name of God, but the name that they have always known, the name that they had known before, known before. God calls them back to that faith, that faith of the patriarchs, not to something new. You know, in, in our time, you know, for, for a time, people would pronounce Yahweh as Jehovah, right? 
And Jews later on, well, they didn't want to pronounce the very name of God out of reverence, so they left out the vowels out of his name. So I sometimes when you read uh, some Bibles and also sometimes people will just uh, take out the vowels out of Yahweh, right? Y-H-W-H, right? Um, and, and Jews definitely all do that generally. Um, and they'll do that out of reverence for God, right? And so sometimes they would say simply the word Adonai, which is to say Lord, right? Now, if you take the vowels of the world of the word Adonai and you put them over the consonants, Y-H-W-H, you get the name Jehovah, right? And all this comes later on, but I'm um, in the days of the Bible, right? But uh, people would say also Yahweh or Yahweh. Um, there's some other Bible nerd stuff. Um, now, this name is also very significant in, in another way, um, in how God can become what we need in any situation. I am. Jesus says, I am the light of the world when we're in darkness. When we're hungry, I am the bread of life. When we're lost and defenseless, I am the good shepherd. In Hebrews 4.16, the author of Hebrews writes for us to come boldly to his throne of grace to find help in our time of need. God will hear our cry. He will see our afflictions and he will respond. He will acknowledge what we're going through and he will respond in love and grace. Because he is good, isn't he? Yes, he is. Amen. Because that is his nature. And my last observation on the name of God, because I've got a lot. Um, you know, we're living as Christians, as we're going through life, working, going to school. You know, many times people will say, here's another apologetic. Um, many times people will say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. And my friends, this chapter right here, this is like step one on on, on defeating that objection when they say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, let's go to Exodus 3 and see how God introduced himself as I am who I am. Interesting, right? Well, let's go to John 8, 58, where Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And what happened right after that? Everybody grabbed stones, and they were about to stone Jesus because he had spoken blasphemy. And how do they all know that? Because, well, they knew, they knew the Torah. They knew the law. They knew what God had said. And they knew what Jesus was likening himself to. He was saying that he was as God. Right? There's a little free, another free nugget of wisdom here. And you guys are going to school today. I bet you didn't know that. I bet you didn't know that. Now, Jesus identifies as that voice from the burning bush. The angel of the Lord, Right? Jesus is the son of God. He's part of the Trinity. We serve that same God. Our God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses. And we share in an inheritance as adopted sons and daughters of an incredible heritage. Think about all the people that have come before us, believers in Christ. We serve the same God that they did. We'll be in heaven with them you might be sitting down with a cup of coffee with King David in heaven. Maybe. Just being a dreamer here. Or maybe Billy Graham, right? 
you'll be worshiping God next to Paul the Apostle. That's an amazing thought. I know I, I am a dreamer. Uh, we're going to move on a little bit. So we're going to be in verses 16 through 18. Um, we're going to learn more about God and what he is saying to our friend Moses. He's going to give him very specific directions. Now, verse 16, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt. And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us, three, let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. In uh, Proverbs 19.21, King Solomon writes that there are many plans in a man's heart, nevertheless the Lord's counsel that will stand. What God says will come to pass. It will happen. It is a certainty. In the rest of this chapter, as we've seen in these little verses, God is outlining very specifically how this is all going to work out. And I don't know about you, but that's how I would like things to be done generally, right? You know, people, when we struggle with anxiety and worry and all those kinds of things like that, it does help to have some sort of structure, right? And I think God is going, well, I know, Moses, you're kind of freaking out and you're struggling with doubt here, but I am going to specifically tell you how all this is going to work out. I'm going to tell you everything. Like, this is a very specific kind of things that are going to happen, right? And it's going to continue. God is going to keep going, right? Now, remember, like, like that proverb says, nevertheless, the Lord's counsel that will stand, it, what God says is going to happen, right? Now, first, God is telling Moses, oh, I want you to gather all the elders of Israel. Everybody needs to hear this. All of the elders need to know about this. Don't hide this encounter with me. I need you to share it with all the elders of Israel. I need you to instruct them. I need you to encourage them and tell them <coughs> that I have not forgotten. I have not forgotten. So he does that. He's going to do that. Okay. So they've heard that. And, and then what's going to happen <coughs> is God is leading them into the promised land, right? This is what's going to happen. So he gathers all the elders. It's the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, the Perizzites, all of those guys. And it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a very bountiful land. There's so much there for them, right? And then he says, they will heed your voice. So Moses, way back when, was like, uh, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and even go to anybody, really, and do anything. But God is going, no, they will listen to what you say. But not just listen, they will do. They will follow me, and they will follow you. They will. And what a, like, encouraging kind of word for Moses, right? Just like, this is going to happen. It's going to happen. Trust me, right? Now, 
He wants to deliver them out of Egypt. He wants to lead them out of there. Remember, it's been about 400 years or so in Egypt. It's not a short amount of time. People kind of set up roots when they're in a place for four generations, right? Um, can you imagine that there might be some discussion taking place, right? <laughs> Moses tells them all this stuff. Some people are probably like, huh, so you want us to leave? Leave. This is basically my home, right? <laughs> and all these kinds of what ifs and all kinds of shock, all kinds of things going on, right? But God is telling Moses, them, no, no, they're going to listen to what you say and they are going to eventually, hopefully, heed what you say. They're going to do that, right? Now, going back to that proverb, God's word is going to stand. His counsel will work. It's going to work out, right? Now, when we, when we struggle with doubt, one of those keys is God's word. His word will stand. What God says will come to pass. And what God says is true. Right. When you read God's word, that is medicine for doubt. When you read God's word, that is solid ground. You hold on to those promises. You hold on to those things that God has said. Because they are so true. And doubt is really just a lie. Now, doubt, yeah, causes our confidence to waver, right? We're like James says, we're like waves being moved around, tossed about. But God is revealing himself to Moses and has revealed that he has a plan and who he is. Because another key to defeating doubt and dealing with doubt is God himself, his character, who he is. Is God, does God go back on his word? No. Is God faithless? No. God is faithful. And God has integrity. God honors his word. God will follow through on what he has said, right? All he has to do is just be a person. And you know, like, people don't always follow through, <laughs> right? But God is steady. God is reliable. God is solid ground, a rock. And there is no other. Now, verse 18, God is telling Moses kind of a summarized version of what to say to Pharaoh, Right? He's going to explain more later on in chapters as, as this is going on. But he's telling them, like, well, this is kind of what I want you to say. You, you know, we're going to, they're going to, Israel's going to hear the voice, but then you're going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to ask, can we go and worship me over in the desert for three days, right? And he's going to say no. But we're going to get to that. So um, now as this is going, it does help to understand, too, like Moses is receiving these directions. He's receiving so much stuff right now. And God is, is sharing his plan, and he's going to use Moses, right? We all have a purpose in life. And I think sometimes when we receive that, an idea of what our purpose is, we can kind of be, like, scared. We can be overcome with fear as well, right? But God is knows who we are and knows us because he created us and, and he wants to develop that faith in us. He's doing the same thing here with Moses. He's given him so much 
like help in a way uh, to kind of reassure him. Like this is not, I'm not just sending you out with no plan. I'm not sending you out with like nothing. I'm not just saying go and just do it. <laughs> you know, he's giving him an outline, a plan, a kind of this is what I want you to say uh, to all of Israel and also to Pharaoh, right? So as we're closing in verses 19 through 22, we're going to finish up and see how good God is. Verse 19, but I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in Egypt, um, <clears throat> which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of who he of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. So as we're at the end of the chapter, God is outlining the rest of what's going to happen. It has yet to happen yet, right? This is a prophecy in a way to Moses. God, Moses has no idea this is all going to happen. God's saying, well, this is how it's going to be. Everything specific, very detailed, this is how it's going to be. This is how it's all going to happen, how you guys are going to be delivered, how this is all going to work out, how Israel is going to be freed, how you're going to do this. Now, he's telling them what to expect, right, in a way. He's like, hey, Moses, Pharaoh's going to hear what you say. He's going to hear you. He's going to hear you out. Uh, but he's not going to let you go. Because his heart is totally against you and all of Israel. His heart was hard, just like his father was in Exodus 1. And you see it mentioned um, later on in chapters in Exodus, that God has hardened Pharaoh's heart. God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. It's going to go back and forth. And you see it mentioned uh, many times, which God definitely did do. He did harden Pharaoh's heart. But God already knew Pharaoh's heart was already hard. His heart was already against Egypt. Now see, God, God, if your heart is hard towards God, let's say God or Jesus or Christianity, maybe you have friends or family that are like totally not about it. They're, they don't want to hear you share, want to hear anything. You give them a Bible, they give it back, etc., etc. God gives you grace. But at some point, after a lifetime of a hard heart, God says, so be it. Pharaoh, perfect example. His whole life, his father was that way, right? He was totally against Israel, totally, 100%. But God says, and that's how it's going to be. Israel doesn't get freed, and, well, you know, he said no, so there's that. No, that's not what happens, right? Now, he explains that he will not relent. He will not, Pharaoh will not let the people go except by, a, not even by a mighty hand, right? We think of like battle. We think of warriors, somebody like forcefully making it happen, right? Out of our own flesh, think of that, right? Trying to make it all happen. 
God's like, no, it's, that's not gonna, even going to work either. He said, but I, I will stretch out my hand. I will stretch out my hand, and I will cause Pharaoh to let you go, and all of Israel. And God explains, he's going to strike Egypt with wonders. Those are the ten plagues you're familiar with. Those ten plagues that God brings to Israel. Ten plagues. It takes all ten to finally get to Pharaoh and to finally change his mind and let everybody go. Ten plagues. And after a whole bunch of people are suffering, it takes ten. And they're amazing. It's like a, if any of those happened now, it would be like, what? <laughs> Someone needs to do something, right? Now, Pharaoh does let Israel go eventually. Now, we read in uh, verses 21 through 22 that when this happens, because it's going to happen, God's telling Moses, it's going to happen. But on top of that, your, your women will ask their neighbors in Egypt for their riches, for silver, for gold, for clothing, and they will happily give them, gladly give them, and they will plunder the Egyptians. It's like back pay for years of servitude, generations of servitude, I should say. Now, God's plan is, is sure. It's going to happen. And he's reassuring Moses here. In Deuteronomy 7, 9, Moses writes, um, this is all way after all this. He says, therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. That is a man who has seen God work mightily, seeing God keep his covenant to Israel, deliver Israel out of Egypt, deliver them out of bondage. That's a man whose faith was maturing and growing because he saw how faithful, how good God is. Did he doubt? Did that ever stop? No, of course not. But he learned mighty lessons in who God really is. When you doubt, remember like Moses did here in Deuteronomy 7, 9, remember God's faithfulness. He keeps his word. He keeps his promises. Remember his character. He's good. He's gracious. He's merciful. Remember that when God speaks, it will come to pass. When you pray and God speaks to you, that's sure. That's true. That's it. Pack your bags. Get ready. Someone's feeling called to Africa right now? No, I'm just kidding. Remember what God has said. Hold on to those promises. Hold on to those words. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. If you're going to take away anything from this chapter, God is faithful. Totally. Well, thanks, guys. We're going to uh, have the worship team come up soon. And 
Uh, we're going to have our prayer counselors come up on the sides. And, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, Father, we are thankful again, Lord, for how good you are. Lord, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for your character, Lord, Lord that you are faithful even when we are faithless. Lord, that you are steady and sure. Lord, you are a solid rock. Lord, you are the only God. You are the only Lord. There is no other. And Father, we do worship you and praise you for that. And Lord, we love you again, Lord, and uh, we are eager to worship you today. Amen. Amen. Let's worship.